0: Tulls up for three. Boom knocks at the Curry from the corner at three. Puts it in. For overtime makes it current. Curry! Wheeler! Hi there. Big warm welcome from you, Mark Woods, to the latest edition of the MVP cast brought to you in association with Total Environmental Compliance. Check out their consultancy services for a whole range of environmental issues at tucompliance.co.uk. And if you like the podcast, please, please hit the subscribe button, then you won't miss a single episode. And do sign up for the MVP newsletter, the post up exclusive content on a regular basis. You can subscribe and have it delivered right into your inbox at nvp247.com now these are interesting times for basketball out with the bbl wherever you are in the uk of course hoops at an amateur and youth level suspended until well next month at the very least with lots of implications of course for developing that important next generation of talents as well. So in this edition, let's talk to the figurehead of a club that, well, outside of Brixton, has probably generated more GB internationals in recent years than anyone else. John Bunyan, the what we call him, the puppet master of Falkirk Fury. Welcome to the MVP cast.
1: Uh, hi Mark, and uh, great to be on your show and talk a bit about, uh, as you say, away from maybe the top level, we are at the top level in certain parts of the club, but grassroot basketball and grassroots sports in general, probably had as hard a knock as anybody has, uh, you know, not without all the great work going on by
0: everybody in the health services, etc. So for a little bit of context, let's to start off with, describe the club setup that has been built at Falkirk Fury.
1: Well, we started the club back in 1992, myself and Keith Mould, our son, where he was uh, just getting involved in schools basketball, had always followed uh, my own basketball, played for the police team for 20 uh, odd years, we had a really good police team, so Keith had always been involved. And, uh how many pals at Falkirk High School? So uh, we thought we need to get on the Scottish level of basketball rather than out of the school side. So we started a club in '92, and went from one team uh, to currently have eighteen teams and over two hundred players. So a massive uh, male, female, and uh, all age groups. That's been a real focus for us, ensuring that you know we we have a. Our girls and our women engaged in basketball as well. So the start was 92 and this was 15, won the second division Scottish Junior League. We couldn't go into the first division as we were in it for the first time. And lo and behold, we couldn't go into the Junior League as they changed the age group. So we went with that team straight into, I think it was under 21, under 23. And uh, we were really making great uh, strides uh, after a few years in that, adding teams, uh, a couple of girls teams, junior boys teams, uh, as well as our under-23 team. And then Scottish basketball, there was a bit of a fall-off and all the, the kind of up-and-coming teams like ourselves at Puri, St Mirand and Rain Rain, uh, were forced into the men's league in 1998 out of that, just as we were kind of developing towards and having a really strong under 23 team, and Keith at that time in '98 went to play for the Edinburgh Rocks in the BBL. But lo and behold, within two years, we actually won the men's league, the first of our first ever 13 men's title in 2000. So, quick adaption some fantastic players. Keir Nakara as a junior played on that team, old hand Steve Hoffman who played for Solwright, uh the great Greek guard, uh, great Scottish guard Dave Wallace, had a really fantastic team. and
0: really worked
1: on uh, building the club from from really that point on. And in the last decade, we've been really strong at
0: all age groups. You've got a good overview of what basketball is like throughout the UK. I mean, to put it in context, how, we'll just talk at the men's league if, if we can though. But as a comparison, how would you say Scottish League these days stacks up against NBL 1, perhaps 2?
1: Right, well, in the younger age group, we actually uh, we we have had and have great younger age groups teams at under sixteen, under eighteen, and we competed in Fra- in the, sorry Belgium in the Flanders tournament for oh, five six years. A really elite tournament there that had oh over I think there was over twenty countries at that tournament. America, all of Europe, England, you know, were playing teams like the Red and Rockets and beating them at junior age group, you know, so the very best Scottish teams uh, can really compete with some of the best younger age groups, as far as the, the older age groups and the senior men, our men's team, we have taken part in the BBL t- Trophy four or five times, I think about three times we played the Rocks, the Rock, we played uh, Loughborough's uh, second team, Loughborough Riders, two years ago, and you know they, they they beat us by twenty thirty points. I think they'd six under twenty GB internationals in their team. So yeah, and you can see the the um, the results that uh, these EBL Division One teams they they give the BBL teams a hard time. So you know while we've got a really good standard here in Scotland, all, a lot of nearly all the teams are starting five of ex Scotland internationals. They'll have their fair share of. European players we've had a number of American players in our team so you know we have a, a, a good standard I think that we need to take it to the to the next level get nearer that pro level where we where we are a bit stronger uh, as the EBL have demonstrated.
0: We are in a lockdown as we said at the start I mean describe as a club how has the last 12 months been for you?
1: Well, it is about twelve months. The thirteenth of March, actually, we, we pulled the plug on five semi-finals we were in of the six major semi-finals in Scotland. Playoff semi-finals for senior men, senior women, junior men, junior women, and cadet men and women. We were in all. We were in five out of the six. We didn't make the cadet men's semi-final, but there was a decision made uh, with ourselves and Basketball Scotland to their credit, supported. Uh, ourselves and our clubs and saying, look, the 13th of March which was actually about a week to 10 days before actual lockdown we didn't go ahead with the playoffs that weekend the semi-finals so that was our last competitive basketball to be, well actually it was the quarter-finals a week before and uh, we then had three months, four months of basically trying to keep our uh, players our 200-odd players, our teams Uh, actively involved with Zoom sessions, social media, really keeping them engaged, Um, that was a real focus until we were able, we were literally the first uh, Scottish club uh, with outdoor sessions, we got outdoors as soon as we could, all the correct, uh, a lot of planning involved in that mark, not just getting the, the teams there for 15 minutes apart, their outdoor court, the all the parents at uh, every session they had to fill out their their uh, forums to say there was no issues in respect of covid we did we did a whole raft of uh, social distancing cetera, at these sessions so we had a, a great start to that it got you know the weather actually throughout the summer was really good so it was all outdoor sessions until october unfortunately we were able to then to not access our normal training venues because they are council orientated, school orientated. We've got a couple of other venues where we got indoors in October. We did temperature checks, etc. And right up until Christmas, we had some really meaningful indoor sessions. Contact was allowed for a while as well, so it was all really, after a slow start, really positive. And you know, ninety ninety-nine almost percent of our club players. Nobody dropped out, all engaged. They all made the sessions. The parents were really supportive. We got 20 coaches involved, not just myself or Keith or any of our, you, you know, you Carl Carlo, Rebecca, Kim. All these guys, are, we, we had younger coaches step up and come forward and take the sessions. Uh, so it was really a positive time for the club in terms of uh, coaching and real engagement, actually. But since Christmas... Uh, nothing at all up until this point in time so that's been really difficult once again keeping everybody engaged
0: in two months out and we're, we're hoping it's roughly two months before restrictions are eased and we start to see probably going to be kids first maybe adults beyond that getting back into to sports halls and leisure centers etc but how confident are you that you can build this back up and get back up to speed quickly because one of the challenges that the sports sector and like you were talking about, you know, whether it's, you know, arenas or the small local hall is the extra costs that's going to be involved with the protocols that'll have to be put in place or the you know the social distancing that will limit the numbers that can come in at once, the cleaning regimes, all these things which change the economics of grassroots sports. What's what's the confidence level of been able to rebound properly from the hits of the last while
1: well basketball Scotland have engaged well in terms of uh, having meetings with clubs you know I've been on some of the competition uh, groups there's also groups directly with clubs keeping them up to date with current COVID regulations what you can and cannot do so that's been positive engagement and we have actually worked on a timetable of plan believe it or not since lockdown almost way back in march with a a yearly planning program of when we might get back training when we might get back playing and obviously that playing side the competition side has just been getting put back and back and back so looking to the future you know i think we are hopeful that competition in season 21-22 may start, end of August, September, you know, hopefully, particularly in the younger age groups. Obviously, there loads of clubs like our, just like ourselves that have got lots of girls, boys involved in under-12 basketball. Right? They are the ones that have suffered the fewest restrictions. They can actually train outdoors at the moment, social distance, but they are the ones that have had a, the ability to actually train as normal a lot of the time and up till, and also under 14 16 18s that has been the case for most of the time as well so i think there's a degree of um you know positivity you've got to be positive and you know we've got to uh have that sort of engagement with our players and parents as well you know take, if we adopt a a negative attitude. Then it certainly will be difficult to, to rebound back from it. And to be fair, you know the kids themselves, the players, they have been positive. But it's not just about being positive for them for basketball. Because when they came along to the sessions, outdoor, indoors, it was about engaging with their friends again. And that's you know that's something that you know I'm, I played a lot of football myself when I was young, etc. But a wee bit, you know, all we hear is football from people, but you know, there's a huge amount of grassroots sport, and I've been involved in swimming a lot, you know, these swimmers have never been in the pool, so it is going to be difficult, really, to get back to uh, all these sports, not just the ones that we see every day on the television, and, you know, basketball is one of the ones that with the ventilation and halls and all the rest of it, it it, it is difficult, and, uh, you know, we can only hope that the the levels of COVID are right the way down, and we, and we can get back to normal. But, you know, Basketball Scotland and clubs, they're working as, as positively as they can and focusing on blocks and timeframes when we can get back to normal. You know, we've actually got some uh, squads on the international side of things, hopefully ready to play at some underage, group, underage groups, um, you know, maybe England internationals in the summer, stuff like that. So, yeah. Uh, yeah, it's it, it, trying to be positive, but you're right about cost and halls opening, etc. And a lot of uh, clubs like you know, train, like us, training schools, our, our games are played at sports centres, and these are the ones that have had the biggest difficulty in getting back up and running.
0: And one of the, the other things I find that I've, I've written about this in, in a few newspapers over in recent weeks is that this whole idea of the real estate of, of sport in this country, because you have, by all metrics, threats to our leisure centers, threats to our community halls, threats to, to swimming pools, as you mentioned as well there, because of the viability and the economic system completely being disrupted coming out of COVID and during COVID as well. With... A club like yours, there is an infrastructure there, and you you have places that you go, you have high schools that you use, sports centres that you play out, etc. But one of the cries has been for more financial help. As a grassroots club, and obviously an amateur club with, that does a lot in its community, have you received financial help?
1: Uh, our financial help, we have applied, there's, there's lots of grants, uh, you know, we, and we have received some funding, yes, we have received some funding in terms of sustainability for the future. So there has been grants, but not from the big publicity grants you see about money being given to basketball. That that None of that has come down to grassroots sports as far as I'm concerned. We've had uh, funding from other uh, streams. And, and, you know, to be fair, our sponsors like Sony Centre that sponsor our team they committed to, to remain with the club you know they're having tough financial times themselves so uh, yes I mean the big thing is Mark at the end of the day clubs need their own facilities and in Falkirk itself there is currently uh, ongoing a, a look at facilities to see if they're viable to, to run them in the future so you know then and sports centres we played in the Marner Sports Centre for 25 years it's they closed the sports hall, it's it's a soft play area, Grangemouth Sports Centre we play now, one of the few facilities in Scotland that's got two sports halls, there's a threat to close one of the sports halls, you know, so how can uh, teams and people that play indoor sport clubs etc manage on almost one sports hall in a population of about 150,000, so, uh, and and we're we are investing at the moment. We actually got some further funding from another source where one of the things that we're doing at the moment, we've got a consultancy situation, we're, we're investigating, trying to get our own facilities, as we have been for a number of years, and but very difficult and very costly. But yeah, when you're in the, the lap well, of the gods, the local authority and schools, etc there will be major issues, there's no doubt about that.
0: I had a conversation last week, there was lots of interest after Great Britain's victory over France and the Eurobasket qualifiers and a discussion I had with a French journalist about the differences in the system between you know, the UK and France and obviously in France any time that you go of any size as a public sports venue and it's it's very affordable, clubs can generally use it for free and that's why the club system is so spectacular good and it's no surprise that they've got lots of nba players and we don't have any do you think that that is probably the thing to unlocking club development because you know clubs like yours are exemplars there are not many of them throughout the country that have age groups all the way up to senior male female and it it really works and we'll talk about the players that you have developed in a while but is that the missing link that we just don't have here is that easy availability, that constant access, that very affordable access, that clubs could then go and do something that's much more long lasting, sustainable, and actually generates more talent.
1: Yeah, I think there's two or three options. And yeah, you're right in that, uh, I know clubs like City Edinburgh, and you know, a number of other clubs, the Knights that are near to us at Stirling, you know, cost is a major factor. You're, and, you know, if the local authority put up costs and you're fighting with, you know, I have a great thing about why should indoor football be indoors? It should be outside. When I played football, I never played <laughs> indoors. You know? And uh, taking up space that, you know, our competition requires us to be indoors. So the correct use of facilities, in my opinion, is key for a start. And... Um, you know, so yeah, it is. But you are fighting when we go for our fixtures at the start of the season to Range complex. You know, we're fighting with people that are booked in advance and etc. etc. So, the, the, there is a challenge there. I Talked about being in Flanders at the, the the tournament in Ghent there, and we travel around the various regions and 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 whether it's there, we've been in transfer competitions as well, Germany a lot of what goes on in europe and you know this mark is sports clubs it's not just a basketball club that's used in the hall it's handball it's volleyball it's a whole range of sports and they have got massive local sponsorship these these small venues that are visited abroad they've got you know literally hundreds of sponsorship boards around the hall from the local community supporting them and you know there's there's literally none of that in Scotland. You know, I'd struggle to find one venue that I could think of, an indoor venue that's, you know, got a whole range of sponsors and a whole range of sports. And it, and it's definitely, that is a, a real positive. You talked about the model in France there where they, they have bought into their sporting community in their local authority halls. But, you know, I, I do have a feeling that there was a load of basketball halls built when I started involved in coaching with the Scotland teams, we visited Ireland and the I think it was Dublin. You know, these, these, there was a big series of basically metal sheds built throughout the UK and Ireland, and as as basketball arenas for you know fairly uh, likes the governing bodies etc. And and actually getting some of these venues and facilities in place would make a massive a massive difference rather than a going almost cap in hand at times and, and I'm not decrying the local authorities because we have a great local authority and our staff, they work well but it's very difficult to to work out all your training time and all your game competition if you've not got your own facility
0: With your system and let's talk start talking about the club a little bit here and it's it's been such a, a success in terms of the players that it's brought through yeah, you've got guys like Kieran Achara, Ali Fraser's at Leicester now, Fraser Malcolm who's who's at The Rocks. And that those sort of things don't happen in isolation, of course, in terms of, you know, the, the coaches that are available, volunteers, etc., and things like that. How how have you gone around about creating a a culture, I guess, but also, you know, a a coaching system, a development pathway, everything all the nuts and bolts that you have to put in place that has a small club, relatively speaking, like yours creating absolutely top-class players who can play for their country.
1: Yeah, well, I, I've maybe been fortunate and I've been pretty much backed up with with family as well. Keith and Johnny playing for... I forgot Go... about Jun- Bunyan
0: Jr. I do apologize, <laughs> Johnny, who I'm sure will listen to this.
1: Yeah, Johnny and the, the Great Britain squad at the same time as Ali and Keith and the BBL, you know, Kim playing for our women's team and coaching all the teams. So it's that family has been positive. And you know, a lot of folks said to me, oh, once your kids are only playing, you'll lose interest in the club, but far from it. You know, I've coached loads of teams with uh, without any of my family in the team and or, or them being involved. So uh, it was very much once we got started and focused on having a strong club with, because I was involved a lot in swimming, I was swimming coach for years and, one of the key things is making sure you had your 10, 20 swimmers in each age group, boys and girls each year. So that's been a focus for us in the club, making sure that we have a great primary school program here. We work really well with active schools and other organizations where, you know, our target at under 10, under 12 is to have. 20 boys and 20 girls at each age group as they move into under 14, under 16. So you have got strong squads. And coaching-wise, uh, 20 years ago, I became a, a tutor and level three coach, etc. But, you know, start with Keith and Kim, they become involved. Pete Duncan, Jen McLaren, I've had a whole load of fantastic coaches, the, the Connells. George Faulkner, I couldn't name them all, Mark. You know, we've got about 20 coaches on the staff at the moment, and Carlo and Rebecca Lonsdale. She played in the WBBL. So it, it's, and and a lot of the the the, the great uh, input on coaching is younger players. You know, we've got 10, 12 girls, 15, 16 year sixteen-year-old younger, and boys who take the younger kids in. So that infrastructure, and that stems from, one of the great things is our men's team has been really successful we get a treat that's a maximum 350 crowd at their games and it's it's fan genuine fans they've got nothing to do with the club that come along but on top of that a lot of the girls and boys players from the other teams their parents do come along so having a a real kind of fan, I, I know every one of my players and parents in you know, all our teams are 200 odd players and I like to encourage our coaches to have that sort of relationship as well. So, but but these people you've mentioned, whether it's Keith and the BBL, and, you know, they've all... I've coached probably every one of these players. Kieran, obviously my own family, Ali Fraser, Cameron Bucking, He's in the Olympic team now for Rowan. Some fantastic players. Uh, girls as well. Mary Bucken, she's the first Scots... A woman from our club who played Division One in the NCAA, Pearl Co- Dominion. You know, coached Mary as well. But these players also, and I, you know, it's not just down to my coaching or my clubs. They've then and gone and worked with some fantastic coaches in a pro level, scholarship level, high school, whatever. So every everybody as a coach, I've always tried to take bits and pieces from clinics or working with other coaches and as players, these players have really en- embraced the fact that, yeah, hey, we're working with somebody else and I'm not going to be insular I'm going to take what's good and bad from, from the coach and develop themselves as player. just as, you know, Kieran's worked with countless coaches over the year and and he's done that uh, as well, so yes, the club, found that they have the foundation and the foundation for us is, you know uh, be respectful to the player, develop their individual, but develop them as team players as well. And that's one thing I always would like to think, you know, we've developed
0: good team basketball players. Well, one of the things that always struck me, and we're going back 20 years now, is I remember when, before Kieran went to America and we were talking about his development then because we were, you, you were, I think, picking my brains on how to help him get to the States and we were, we were looking at, how he developed as a player. And I think one thing he always said, he always said at the time, was that Kieran Achara used to play point guard for Falkirk. Now, yes. in, this, in the short-term thinking of many, 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 many clubs on both sides of the Atlantic, Kieran Achara gets stuck in its centre. He's a big lad, still is, expanding rapidly. Now he's retired. But you know, to to play someone like him as a playmaker and give him that experience in that all-rounded game stood him in such good stead. Is that just one coach maybe it was you maybe one of the other coaches making the decision or is that a sign of a good culture
1: no i mean that was i had kieran playing point guard when he played for our uh, under 23 team in particular and uh and the younger age group because kieran was so dominant inside you know this is a guy six foot ten with a seven feet three wingspan as like a 16 17 year old so you know our culture is to develop our players ball handling shooting the basketball developing shooting from range etc you know so playing good defense posting up etc and our guards being able to post up so you know we we really coached on a level and still do obviously on trying to give them as many skills as possible and and kieran was the guy you know people dribbled past them that were quicker they thought the smaller guards and suddenly Kieran's massively long arms uh, reached from behind and stole the ball you know so he he took that on board and when I went out with Kieran to Paris uh, when he was trialing for Malaga, Malaga we went to a gym, and the guy just looked at his ball handling skills he looked at his shooting and you know Kieran had been allowed to do all that stuff you know we encouraged him to develop his shot and his ball handling and And that was the very drills that this guy was going over with them. You know that he wasn't just a guy that they could stick next to the basket.
0: Is that is that I guess a way to earn your players' trust? Because there's so many young, well, players who were young players once. You know, not older. Talk about you know the fact that they were commoditized, and you know that there's always that thought of you know that someone just wanted to get my team, get me to help my teams to win or, you know, to to re- reflect or bask in my reflected glory, etc. But, you know, is that in a way that you can, players can see that and then therefore they want to come and play for you, that you you can see that there's a sort of trust issue that's built up, that's generational, that is, that helps you as a club?
1: You know, no, I, I think you're right there. And we've had some great players who didn't emanate from our club and played Particularly senior men, Ronnie Gordon started through in Edinburgh. Stuart Mackay, uh, was through in the West. You know, we 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 haven't deliberately gone out. There, there's a rule in basketball which is actually a. They've kind of gone away from it. I don't know if they should. Where you know, younger players couldn't switch unless they geographically had moved, or there was some major rift in the club, etc. So there was tight control on kids staying within their own programmes and you know we've got such great players in our club that we want to develop and, and, and bring in. I haven't brought in a lot of players but yeah the uh, some of the former rocks that have come and played for us, Boris Matrikov, Bantu, you know, these guys have come in and you've got as a coach I've got to respect their abilities and you know they they all get to reciprocate that respect. And you know we work we've always worked, as I say, very much on a team ethos in that it's not all about one player it's about players making other players better as as, as people rightly quote so I I do think over the years we have really tried to focus on one the player developing them and and two giving them that ability to work with other players respect other players support other players and yeah I, I, I think that works within the people that you work with as coaches
0: and as players you coach and you obviously educate other coaches now i mean this this is either in scottish or gb context but how good are we at coaching those next grassroots coaches because we could we also think so much about the professionals and who's coaching in the the bbl or wbbl or whatever and we how that that progresses but you know, grassroots coaching and youth coaching is very much a different skill. You know, are, is there things that we should be doing better? Is there things that we do well in terms of preparing those people to prepare the next group, whether they're future GB internationals or they're just players who play the game to enjoy it?
1: Yeah, I mean, preparation for being a a good coach, which one, um, but first of all, I think that, from a personal point of view basketball coaching is the most interactive coach in any sport there is you know you have the ability to change the game in so many ways substitutions looking at people who are in in, in foul trouble the team fouls, etc changing the plays um etc so you know i i think there that's a skill within itself that not everybody who coaches has they don't not everybody has the ability to think quickly and you know have all all these variables going on in their head about team where you are on the clock etc so uh, uh, you know being that kind of coach a game coach is a skill within itself and you can only get to that level by coaching games you know and I've coached thousands of games at every level there is from under 12 to elite basketball and you know you're as a coach you've got to be ready to go i've always been relatively active as a coach um, so there's that side in terms of making our coaches better i think that most coaches that you see today that are are younger they will definitely have spoken about or have had experience of working with uh, a mentor older coaches or as a player taken a lot from the people that have coached them whether it's in their club or on international basis or whatever so you know in my my mind the best coaches are the ones that are are taking on board so many transitional things as we change whether it's analytics whether it's strength and conditioning as far as players it's not just about the basketball side there's a whole whole raft of management and how to handle people as well you know i've been a great one for everybody's different. It'd be great if we could just make the same statement to 10 faces on a timeout or at half-time mm-hmm. think that that was going to have an effect. But it doesn't because everybody's different. You have, to, you have to alter at times what you are saying. Yes, sometimes you have to make general statements, but, you know, the, so the, uh, are, are we doing well in terms of that? Well, I, in Scotland, you know, I... I I think that uh, there are a lot of good coaches, young and old, uh, still involved in the game and involved in the game at present. A lot of up-and-coming coaches. I, I think it's like everything else. It's what you want to make of it. Ultimately, you will be the one that, that, that makes yourself a, a good coach, makes yourself a respected coach and uh, someone that someone wants to play for. Uh, you know, if you sit back and do nothing, well, you know... Not, People really, players in actual fact, you know, a lot of the time they they go to teams because they look at the coach and say, "Am I going to learn something from this coach, you know, or or, or am I just going to be part of a team and that nothing's going to be new?" So coaches really have to be on top of their game with players.
0: Your club is one of like hundreds up and down the country that's got involved with the junior NBA program. And treated from a from a club's perspective, it's always been something I've you kind of work to think about looking from the outside is it just a marketing exercise to get kids into the nba is it is, does it make a difference what's your perspective
1: well junior nba we got involved in it a couple of years ago uh, when it came, to, it came into scotland about three years ago and started in edinburgh so mm. it was actively working with primary schools in edinburgh then worked in glasgow and last year they worked throughout scotland and we were involved in the program and uh, yeah it's a really good program Uh, i think there's a lot of positive material that it carries that's easily available for coaches and for youngsters to look at and you know take inspiration from so uh, you know the nba wnba that's what it is and i know there's more push to get the wnba side of it in as well Uh, the basis it works at the moment is that primary schools and it's boys and girls four in the court and you have to have the same amount of girls as boys on and an actual fact our, our local team, uh, Keith, uh, Jay, his team, Keith's son, Keith coached this St Margaret's Primary School. They won the Scottish Junior NBA this year. We won the local one and then uh, won uh, a sort of national event as well. And some fantastic girls and they represented from the the Junior NBA. He was ex um, NBA player. Uh, forgotten his, his name at the moment he he was just, in fact I later found out he had a daughter about 9 or 10 and he was really amazed at some of the ability from our younger girls as well and you know that's one focus we have we're really focused on our female players equally and that's rightly so of course with the male players and uh, younger age groups and so it's a focus at primary school, it's getting bigger, it's going to be once it starts back, as a result of, it also extends to slightly older age groups, the junior NBA. We've had one player gone on to a junior NBA camp in Europe, and he got picked up and play, played at week, two or three weekends for his Italian team, Andrew Melville, which was fantastic, and uh, Harvey Berry, another of our um, cadet players the same age as Andrew, he was due to go in a junior NBA program to Europe as well this year, but didn't happen. So, a lot of opportunities arising from being in that junior nba program into you know into european world basketball so uh, i think it's a real positive and uh, you know a- amy kirkhouse who you know she is one one of basketball scotland's fantastic uh, individuals amy is and she's really uh, is a great one for developing this program
0: so you know i can't speak too highly about that program as a, as a club obviously i the success of senior level has given you opportunities. And one that you mentioned briefly was playing in the BPL trophy. You couldn't play this season's competition because of the travel restrictions and it, from Scottish government. And does that mean that you guys come back in next year?
1: Well, we are, we are, we are apparently going to take that slot next year since we weren't in. Yeah. It wasn't just travel. And, you know, I did have, I did have some, Discussion and debate with that when it came out because early on in September I had obviously we had qualified because we won our men's team, won the uh, league. The league had finished actually in season uh, nineteen twenty, so it finished so we were league champions and as such we qualified for the BBL trophy. And in September I, I started to make some uh, inquiries about what was happening with the BBL trophy and. Uh, the word was, yeah, it's going to go ahead, and you all be, we were approved as as being an entrance. So at that point in time, I actually made ba- asked Basketball Scotland to make representations to Sport Scotland uh, for us to do some training, uh, albeit social distance training. But you know, if we were going to compete against teams, ostensibly nearly all, as you know, BBL teams. Uh, there was no point in playing unless we were able to do some form of training. But we'll, we were not allowed to train. Um, something that I, I, I didn't overly agree with at that point in time, it was social distance training. And we did have access to an indoor venue where our younger players were training. We would uh, have all the protocols in place where, that, the, uh, for example, the Rocks or the Caledonia Pride had in place. Wasn't allowed and and actually way back in September or we October, Sports Scotland. Uh, and what's more, you're not playing it. So a crystal ball from them to say that four months' time, which was the start of the competition, we wouldn't be playing in it no matter what. So we 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 we're not happy about that. One thing you know we have totally focused on making. Our club as good as we can possibly be in terms of all the training we've done with everybody in terms of COVID, and there's no reason to think we wouldn't do that with our uh, men's training. So that what that was a bone of contention, it still is to be honest. The BBL trophy has gone ahead, and uh, you know we were asked in December by the BBL, are we taking part? And I said, well, frankly, it's, you know, I don't want to. Uh, you know, cause any issues for anybody, uh, even if we we did get the go ahead now to go ahead, but because we simply haven't been able to train. So uh, that's unfortunate, and and I did liken it to the the Scottish Cup, the FA Cup, which you know, blandly, uh, teams were allowed to travel all over Scotland from you know Division Seven or wherever it was in the football league. You know, and we're the top. A club. We were the top club in Scotland ranked behind the rocks, and you know, we weren't allowed to take part. And actually, within a week or so, of course, that got hit in the head as far as all the football teams. So, there just seemed to be a, a very quick answer, in my opinion, in terms of basketball. No, even not. And yet, there's been a, a lot of thought going into other sports, football, rugby, whatever, but uh, not a lot in terms of uh, basketball
0: out with. Uh, the Rocks and kind of doing a Pride. Of the Rocks, of course, you have produced literally two players in the past with Keith at the initial team, Johnny, the, the current captain. So you've seen Kieran Achara play at Olympics, Sally Fraser playing a Euro Basket Finals alongside Kieran, etc. Personal braces must be a lot of pride in that
1: yeah absolutely and uh, you know that's one goal that, uh, as far as it'd be great to have all these players still playing for Fury over overall these years but <laughs> you know the, the goal is to make people as good as they can be and uh, so having these guys play for the Rocks and you know Scott Russell came to us uh, from St Mirren played for Fury he's won some titles with us and he he was another Rocks player as well Scott was with the Rocks and uh played for Fury for a number of years. So, yeah, our our commitment to, to the Rocks and uh, our, our players being available uh, should they, they wish to be involved with them has is, is been fantastic. I mean, the, the bigger thing probably has been the, the scholarships. You know, we've had seven, eight players get scholarships in the States. Uh, Mainly in the states, one of our girls went to uh, to Europe, and uh, you know, so that also has been great for the club, and a whole host of other players represented Scotland as well. But you know that that is fantastic, but it's also great for the literally thousands of other players that have played for us because they had really had a great time being in our teams, meeting players and. And at the end of the day, one of your ultimate goals is when you're coaching, teaching people is for them to be a better person. And, you know, I'm, and when I see all these people I'm convinced that being in a basketball team, they tell me this anyway, is you know, they really enjoyed it. And it has given them a focus in life.
0: Last topic. A bit of politics to finish with. I guess we're continuing with the politics where we left off the coronavirus. But you know, you've you've been assessing coach at the Scotland team and you had a Commonwealth games at you know above everything else. And there is that question raised again recently about the relationship between Scotland and Great Britain teams, the British Basketball Federation, Basketball Scotland, and those links there. And as someone who has had success. And who has, you know, had players that have gone all the way through on the men's and women's side of, of the game. Is that relationship working for Scotland in terms of an equal opportunity, in terms of providing the opportunities to, to play at the best level, or is there something there that needs repaired?
1: Uh well I I, I didn't Overly agree, although that was not a, a opinion or option that was open for the rank and file Scottish clubs at the time. Uh, whether or not we should uh, give up all our status and become part of Great Britain basketball, that was that was uh, taken out with a club vote. Uh, that was a a vote made by the governing body that was what they thought was best for basketball as you know obviously Wales didn't do that Uh, they weren't party to that so you know we're going back a number of years now as far as it does it work it worked for the handful of people that uh, have made it to the Great Britain teams and yes of course there's a massive difference in the the numbers of people playing basketball down south to, in Scotland although I always say that the you know this is not a minority sport in Scotland it's hugely played in schools we've got a great national program here as well but um you know it, 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 I hear I've, I've heard a lot of stories you know Dan Donnelly another great player we, we, we had Daniel was in the states about players going down for trials in the People that were coaching the teams literally didn't even look at them when they were on the court, because they knew what ten or twelve players they were selecting. I'm not saying that that's the normal in Great Britain selection, but uh, you know it's it's very difficult, uh, obviously, to make a Great Britain team. And and you know you you can only make a team if you're good enough to make it. I think. What needs to be a level level playing field is the opportunity to make that team. And I wouldn't say that I'm convinced that there is a level playing field there at the moment. And that's not just in terms of yeah, of course, ability is is, is a factor in it, but uh, you know, I, I um and would we be better just playing as Scotland? Well we have to I certainly because our younger age group teams, 16s and 18s up until a year or so ago, they were all still able to take part. And for example, UOC, the senior teams, if you get an invite or qualify in the Commonwealth Games. You know, that Scotland team in 2018 were competing against, I think New Zealand was ranked 28 at the time. We just, just narrowly lost to them. Uh, you know, so there is an argument to say that Scotland... Could produce and, and play on a on a, a a bigger playing field other than being part to the Great Britain team, but I guess you know financial comes into it as well, Mark, because there's barely enough money for the Great Britain team <laughs> to play The Great Britain team. Never mind for there to be an English or Great Britain slash Great Britain team or a Scotland team on their own. So um, no, I I. Well, the clubs weren't overly involved in that. A decision that was a decision that was made. It was seen as the best for basketball, and yeah, of course, people want to aim for the ultimate of Great Britain. And uh, but there's got to be a way where, and, and you know, there is a way where Scotland can maintain their situation. There's plenty of tournaments that Scotland can enter as men's team, women's team, under 18, whether it's in Europe or America, or simply get your best players to some of the very best camps in the world. You know, there's nothing to stop us not improving our basketball players just because we don't make a good Britain team. You know, uh, I, I, the bigger issue for me is, and i said this recently, we need to have a more, a clearer pathway for, you know, these players that you've spoken about that have made, made it from our club They've made it a lot of the time on the basis of who I've known or who somebody else has known. You know, I said to you earlier that I've been lucky enough to be on the America-USA um, coaching uh, staff at two of the uh, the World Championships at under-18 level in Germany, the Albert Schweitzer Tournament. And, you know, the, 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 the fact is that, you know, we really need to... Uh, I think make sure that the opportunities are there for our players to play at a high level. You know, we might have nine, ten really good players and only one person goes down for a, a trial for a Great Britain team. Well, what's happening to these other teams, eh, other players? And not only that, you know, on an individual basis, are we are we signposting them how to get to... College in the states or a program in Europe. We've had a we've had a couple of our own players go down to Moscow and one of the other academies in England as well. You know, so England's leading the way in terms of obviously their academies, their work with universities, their their ability to get players to the states, and that's something that it, you know, in my opinion, and I've, I've said it to. Barry Lang, whose performance they get on well with Barry. That I, you know, this is a, a, a missing link in the development of Scottish players. It's getting them to the next level. It can't be up to people like me saying, Well, I know this coach over in the
0: States or here or there. And, and that's really key. Well, we hope you continue to make some GB players available. That'd be, you know, help us a little bit in the future for your baskets <laughs> to come. But Thanks so much time, for your time and spending some time with us and telling us all about Falkirk Fury and keep doing some great work when eventually the doors reopen. John Bunyan, thank you for joining us on the MVP cast. Okay, cheers, Mark. That is it for this edition brought to you with our sponsors at Total Environmental Compliance. Search for them on Google or give them a follow on social media at TU Compliance Limited. You can, of course, get all our previous editions at mvp247.com. you got a bunch of basketball news there as well. And you can also sign up for the new post up from mvp our weekly newsletter if you want to get in touch with me reach out via twitter at mark another edition of the mvp cast coming very very soon but for me mark woods thank you so much for listening and it's goodbye for now